Welcome to Bad Science, the show that breaks down the science of a movie with a comedian and a scientist. Today we're discussing Sound of Metal. So I'll ask about cochlear implants, tinnitus, and much, much more. But first, a short word from our sponsor. Bad Science Did the movie get it right? Bad Science Or will we have to fight? Hi everyone, I'm your host Ethan Edinburgh and I've got two wonderful guests joining me today. First up, he is the professor of audiology at Cal State LA, Dr. Peter Ivory. Hi Ethan, it's great to be back here on Bad Science with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to have you. We spoke a bit ago about A Quiet Place and ironically, that's the big takeaway from this movie I felt was to find your own quiet place. A character named Joe says that stillness is God's kingdom. So do you agree with that? And do you have a quiet place of your own? Quiet certainly is something that can be sought after for solace, as uh, we saw Ruben do in this particular movie. And sometimes too much quiet is not a good thing either. Okay, I like that. That seems like a good teaser for later. I want to know what that's about. But secondly, I have to introduce our other wonderful guest. He's an award-winning filmmaker. He's a drummer in the band Lord Loud and the brother of our fantastic producer, Emily Feld. It's Michael Feld. Hello, how's it going? Great, Michael. Great to talk to you. I'm like shocked that we've never met somehow. And yet from my research here, it seems we have a lot in common. Most notably, we both love Limp Bizkit. Yes. Um, I wish that was something you hadn't said, but I'll go ahead and <laughs> own it right now. Um, I don't know if I would say that I love Limp Bizkit as much as Limp Bizkit has been like a very big, important part of my life, which is mm. kind of is kind of worse in, in a couple ways. Right. Yeah. I Honestly, I think I would say the same. Yeah. I don't currently listen to Limp Bizkit or have not for a while. But they did make up a good chunk of my upbringing, I guess I yeah. could say. But but you cranked it up a notch. You traveled to Russia to see them play, and you made a documentary about it. I did. Is that correct? It is, yeah. So what I did was a couple years ago, um, I got it in my head somehow that I needed to go see Limp Biscuit once again. But because they're not popular anymore, they don't play in the United States. So the only place they were playing at the time, this is in 2015, was Russia. Mm -hmm. So I went to a city called Nizhny Novgorod in Russia, not knowing a single person. I met someone on the internet who was my chaperone out there. And I spent about a week out in Russia and it was a remarkable experience. And to wrap it all up, when I showed the film to Fred Durst, when he got the film, he was livid at the portrayal of Limp Bizkit in it. Oh, no. Um, yeah, so... Uh, Were you making fun of them? Is that why, like, did you... The tagline you know, for the of... film was going to a country nobody likes to see a band nobody likes. And it turns <laughs> out Fred Durst is, like, very sensitive, believe it or not. Oh, no. The guy who's, like, always talking about breaking stuff and doing it for the nookie, you know, is, like, actually a very sensitive artist who does not want to be told that, like, people don't like his music. Right. So, um... Him. He didn't handle it very well, but I still have his phone number in my phone. And I'm tempted every once in a while to just like hit him up and just like send him a text and see what happens. But I, I haven't done it. You should. That sounds like the ending of another great film is, you know, you offend know. this guy that you love and now you guys become homies. I know. I wish. I wish. And jam together. Yeah, I wish. Trust me. That would be great. So same question to you. I, I wanted to give you a chance to touch on the stillness thing because, you know, as a drummer, I'm sure you related to a lot of things in this movie. 
but do you find stillness to be very important in your life? Did that message resonate with you? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because, you know, as a drummer and as someone who has a pair of headphones on all the time, whether it's like I'm going for a hike or I'm doing stuff around the house, like this movie terrified me. Yeah. Like there was many times uh, in the movie that I'll go over that I was like, stop, please don't do that. And I've actually had a warning come up on my phone twice now in the last two months. That's like, your headphone usage is a little high. We recommend you don't use your headphones anymore. So Whoa, this movie- I've never heard yeah, of that. Yeah, this movie terrified me. Um, but to answer the question about stillness, yes, absolutely. You know, playing drums used to very much be like a place where I could get energy out and a place where I could kind of like be in flow and was kind of, even though I was playing the drums, a very quiet place for me because, you know, it can it can be such a release and is such like a, can be like a Zen moment to be playing the drums. Beautiful. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Um, happy to have you on the program. And I want to start off with my big bad question of the day. How often is hearing loss linked to noise exposure? There seemed to be some debate on that. And as far as that goes, is it typically musicians? Because I mean, I had a plumber over the house yesterday, and he was using this like really loud saw without earplugs. And it made me think about it during the movie too. I was like, oh, maybe it's just anybody that's around loud noises. Uh, Are they more, yeah, just susceptible to hearing loss? For you and me and for Michael, who were born with hearing that's within the normal or typical levels of function, any kind of damage to our hearing, any kind of degradation, any kind of even changes as a function of aging, which are also natural and inevitable, will reduce our ability to hear. Now, the extent to which we would lose our hearing completely, as evidenced in the film by the character Ruben by drumming, to me is not consistent with how I understand the clinical effects of noise exposure on hearing. There's people in various professions that I have tested uh, their hearing, and it's an inevitability that they will have hearing loss, in particularly in the middle to high frequencies, so to speak, uh, and will almost always have tinnitus associated with that as well. Most of the largest sources of noise exposure are, in fact, sounds of metal. Saws, machines, tools, factories, all those sorts of industries are all provocative of of high uh, amplitude energy, which almost always damages hearing. Oh, my Lord. So do you think that was on purpose in the title? It's a double meaning expression because of the genre of music, obviously, uh, that he's portraying in the film. And I don't mean to say that things that are non-metal producers uh, are not potentially hazardous. So for example, other things that are damaging due to high levels of noise would be uh, blowers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm always you know, kind of horrified when I see you know, gardeners with a two-cycle motor strap between their shoulder blades uh, without using ear protection. Wow. And, and sadly, gardeners will be using that, but they don't have other protections uh, other than what they might find out uh, on their own to protect themselves. And that's kind of one of the problems is Michael was alluding to about using headphones uh, that if people are left to their own devices, literally, it's potential that their own auditory personal audio devices could cause noise exposure. Uh, World Health Organization states that 50% of people in the, the demographic of you know 12 to 35 years of age, and this is about over a billion people, are at risk to develop hearing loss due to noise exposure from using their own personal audio devices. Whoa. So that's why they're working on having companies provide warnings and throttles if you are exposed to 
high levels amplitude of sound over increasing amount of time, uh, you'll have a greater risk of hearing loss. The greater the amplitude, the less the time of exposure that could be damaging. So it's kind of a, wow. either one, either a lot of sound for a long period of time or high levels of sound in short periods of time would be enough to cause uh, even permanent damage. Man, that is, to use Michael's word, terrifying. I had never heard of that warning system you were talking about, Michael. I use my headphones all the time, but maybe it's the volume of it. I mean, I feel like I listen to it fairly loud, but it seems to me, Peter, what you're saying is that we shouldn't even be able to turn it to the full volume. Like if there's 10 notches, there's no reason to have the 10th one or maybe even the ninth one, right? Like, do you feel like we should just like eight should be the loudest all of these devices go. Are we the guardians of our, of, of our brethren? At what point do we lose free choice? If, you know, so the warning needs to be there, I, I think, and people need to be educated that this is potentially uh, damaging and that is permanent damage. Whether or not they'll choose to exercise uh, that sort of prudence and do the right thing for their long-term benefit, it's like any other question of, you know, what should people do that's best for them. Mm -hmm. Now with headphones, do you think that there's a difference between like the earbuds that go directly into your ear and just like the the headphones that just sit on top of your your entire ear? Do you think that one is better or worse than the other? Great question. It almost doesn't matter. Uh, it, what really matters is what's the amount of sound pressure that gets to your eardrum. So whether or not it's, you know, in a in a can on uh, residing on the side of your head or in something that's in your ear canal, what matters is what's the amount of energy that's getting into your ear canal. Perfect. So before we keep going, I got a lot of ear canal questions. I want to swim through the canals of our ears, guys. But before that, this movie, Sound of Metal, I loved. I was not really aware of it before the podcast. So Dr. Ivory, is this your first time watching the movie? And how did you become aware of it? What did you think about it? was very interested in it because it has so many intersecting themes into what's important to me as an audiologist and also as, a, as an educator, as someone who is you know, training the audiologists of the, of the future mm -hmm. uh, in our doctor of audiology program at Cal State LA. And there's just so much in it that is, as I say, is interesting and intersecting. Not all of it portrayed correctly, I have to say, but still the first step toward sort of positive action is at least an awareness of these events and themes and vulnerabilities and other sorts of things. Okay. One, one out of 10, Sound of Metal. One being garbage film, waste of my time, hated it. And 10 being, this is my favorite film of all time, but a perfect film. For me, that's kind of unfair because I, I think about it in, in, in different sorts of ways. Okay. Um, I, I would give it an eight, but I, I don't mean to be uh, super critical about it. No, eight's a strong rating, I would say. Uh, Michael Feld, filmmaker, would you concur with this rating? Yeah, I would say 10. I mean, wow. like, I, this was one of those movies that I just felt so, like, so moved by it. And, you know, even the story about how it was made is pretty remarkable that it took the filmmaker about 12 years to get the film made the way he wanted. And, you know, just everything in it from the performances to the sound design to, you know, just the story, mm -hmm. it just really, really affected me. Um, I, I would say it was my it was my favorite film of 2020. Yeah, I concur with both of you. I love the movie. I'd probably give it a nine. I would say it's, it's absolutely phenomenal. If you guys have not seen Sound of Metal, please do so. And I also wanted to make note that the director and co-writer of Sound of Metal, Darius Martyr, also wrote The Place Beyond the Pines, mm -hmm. which I also loved. I thought The Place Beyond the Pines ruled and was, was not talked about enough. So watch that also if you're into Sound of Metal. 
But we are going to dive into the film and what makes it so great and how we can save our hearing when we come back from this break. The break is over. Here we go. Back to the show about science. Okay, we are back. You are listening to this with your ears. And if that's the case, then hopefully you want to learn some more about how to protect them and how to ruin them. Maybe you want to have a tinnitus? Is that how you pronounced it earlier, Dr. Ivory? Because I always say tinnitus, and I guess that that's wrong. Tinnitus, tinnitus, tomato, tomato, doesn't matter. Tinnitus, tinnitus, tomato, tomato, perfect. Um, Okay, so yeah, you mentioned how there were some things that were inaccurate in the film, and I wasn't sure if this was one of them or not, but he experiences the tinnitus all of a sudden, like almost in waves the first time, like early in the film, and then he wakes up one morning and just everything is completely muffled. Was that a moment of inaccuracy or is that how it happens? Well, it has it has a variety of different manifestations depending on the person and depending on what the actual cause of it. Tinnitus as a sort of a problem that a person might have is actually reasonably common and is due to many different things. Exposure to noise causing damage to the auditory system certainly is, is one of them. And as I said, there's almost an inevitability of someone who has a noise-induced hearing loss to have an associated tinnitus with that. But it could be caused by other things too. Medications, for example, caffeine, uh, aspirin. If you take too many aspirin in the day, your ears will start to ring. Whoa. And caffeine you mentioned as well? Anything that's kind of a, a, a neurologic uh, irritant uh, will, will likely be provocative in that, in that regard. Wow. So that would, be, uh, that would be possible. And for example, with this caffeine or, or aspirin, although I don't know anybody that has, you know, two cups of aspirin every day, but certainly everybody drinks coffee. Is that like a cause of tinnitus or or are you saying that that could result in some sort of hearing loss kinds of drugs all fall under drugs or medications all kind of fall into a category which has an ominous name ototoxic literally ear poisons and so uh, ototoxic medications ototoxic chemicals would likely have again both of these outcomes which is to say uh, hearing loss which may or may not be temporary, and also tinnitus, which may or may not be temporary. Oh, and and there's, there's a whole bunch of those. And, and I think the ototoxic angle is also an interesting sort of under the, under the rug kind of theme here in this movie. But I want to get back to your question a moment ago, which is, is the sound that uh, Ruben is experiencing, is that tinnitus? And to me, that was almost the quiet, the stillness that we had talked about earlier. Uh, which is sort of an uh, almost like a, a white noise, a shh kind of sound uh, that you hear, almost the absence of any specific frequency. Mm-hmm. The closest I can get to give you this experience uh, is something I had myself. Went to see a basketball game at uh, the cradle of, of basketball arenas, Allen Fieldhouse in Lawrence, Kansas. Yeah, and <laughs> they have a meter that show the amount of decibels, right? Mm -hmm. So as it approached the tip-off, the sound in the arena was 114 decibels uh, on the the arena there. And I could basically hear all of the sound of the crowd until then I sort of couldn't hear anything but white noise. It just went, and I go, oh my gosh, I think I know what's going on here. So I probably damaged my hearing that night, but that kind of saturation where it just sort of individual frequencies disappear and all you have is this is very much what, Ruben experience. Right. And that high frequency that we all associate with tinnitus, also, I can't believe it's decibels. I feel like everything I know about hearing is backwards. But is that common thought that, okay, if we hear, because I've heard this before of musician talk, where if you hear that 
frequency, that ringing in your ears, that's like the last time you're going to hear that frequency. But I have my doubts about this. So from the source, Dr. Ivory, is that true? The frequency that you hear in the tinnitus is related to the trauma that was induced on your inner ear. If we just take a step back and think the auditory system's job is to take acoustic energy from the environment and change it into an electrical code to send that to the brain. You know, everything that we perceive, anything that's coming through any of our sensory modalities, whether it's taste, touch, you know, sight, uh, has to be converted into electrical impulses because that's what our brains process. That's what they work with. And so the auditory system or any of our sensory devices uh, that we have basically are transducers. They're, they're energy converters. Now, the fundamental energy conversion for the auditory system has to do with structures called the auditory hair cells which are actually mechanical uh, in nature. They have little hairs that when sound comes through, sound is converted to a fluid wave. The fluid wave pushes on the hairs of the hair cells, and that causes then a chemical reaction, so to speak, causes the release of neurotransmitters that eventually gets interpreted as sound. But the fact that these things are mechanical, that they're actually moving and swaying and pushed back and forth at high amplitudes of sound in the environment, this converts to high waves. It's like you know, big wave day in the inner ear and these big waves are crashing on these hair cells, and they're just damaged and destroyed, and they don't get rebuilt. They don't grow. They don't regenerate. Not in our species anyway. They don't regenerate. If there's ever a, a, a cure for this, it would be that we would have a way to replace these structures. But right now, we don't. Very scary. Well, speaking of ways to help it or cure it, etc., in the movie, he gets a surgery. It's like an implant. I think it's a, it's a cochlea implant or an implant that bypasses the cochlea, I think I heard somebody say. But it's like a very intense process, it seems like. And so I, I just wanted your thoughts on you know how, how that was portrayed. When we think of auditory prosthetic devices that say uh, devices that would help people to capture sound from the environment, we think of hearing aids, you think of cochlear implants. Ironically, cochlear implants are covered, hearing aids are not. Uh, there's far more uh, hearing aids uh, fit to people than our cochlear implants. But the, the process for cochlear implants also involves and entails a great deal of rehabilitation, also a great deal of pre-cochlear implant assessment that includes not only audiology, as well as different sorts of psychological evaluations, being sure that a person has correct expectations, and as well, uh, medical evaluation to be sure that a person has a cochlea that's implantable. Uh, in Ruben's case, having had hearing his whole life, the supposition would be that, yeah, he had an adequate cochlea. But that's not true for all people who are born with different cochleas, they, you know, different you know, structures. They may not have the channels to be able to be stimulated. So in that regard, that's one thing that's sort of not correct. But that did serve to you know, provide a bit of drama that, you know, now we needed the character needed to get money to get the surgery. And so that added some tension to it. But clearly, that's not part of the reality of it. Do you think this film accurately portrays what it's like to have the implant and to hear things through the implant versus having, I don't want to say normal hearing, but not having to have dealt with a problem like this? Much of what the sound coming from the cochlear implant, it seemed to be more like intermittent. It seemed like it was going in and out. And I don't think that that would be the case. It would be sort of constant sort of beads of noise coming through. The earliest cochlear implants were what we were called as single channel, meaning there was all frequencies were converted into like one buzz. Like if I said, my name is Peter, it'd be buzz, 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 buzz. And so if you know the code, if you had exposure to language and speech such that your previous experience and maybe other cues watching the person's face 
what you would still get from that single channel uh, cochlear implant would have been at least the timing available, certain amount of, of amplitude, uh, and, and the rhythm. And that, for people who have had exposure to mm -hmm. spoken language, might have been enough to be restorative. Fortunately, the implants have added more and more channels so that more frequency resolution is possible. The better the frequency resolution, the better people will be able to receive speech sounds and then also ultimately be able to produce speech if they're learning how to speak that way. In Ruben's case, uh, in an adult, it's a matter of restoring access to the auditory signal, which is a very different uh, gambit than is trying to teach someone to speak and to teach us a language with an auditory code. Well, I mean, I have so many questions about this process. I, I want to kind of piggyback on Michael's question. I mean, for one, in the movie, they do the surgery and then she tells him that you're basically going to hear silence for a month. And then you're going to come back and we're going to activate it. And then they show this scene, you know, where they're activating the implant and he hears everything distorted. And then that's what I also wanted to ask about was like, is that an accurate uh, depiction of the sound? Because it seems like we still have a long way to go as far as, you know, getting these people uh, a clear a clear signal. I mean, he, he was hearing things like really distorted. I mean, sounded pretty crap, if I may say so myself. I think that the, the notion of activation, the, the, the fact that he had to wait a month is just simple. That's just part of the procedure of how this thing goes. The, the surgical part is the actual implantation of, of a kind of a below the skin on the skull and a, a, like a little magnet and then a wire that goes into the inner ear. And so that's got to kind of recover. But that's basically the, the, the system that's going to deliver the electrical signal to the auditory nerve. The external device is really, that's that's where all the secret sauce is. That's the that's the the computer that takes sound in and converts it, and then sends it through this transdermal magnet thing into the inner ear. Activation for somebody who hasn't been hearing at all, uh, regardless of the quality of sound, regardless of the the limitations of the resolution, particularly the frequency resolution limitations. And you know, Michael, you're right. It doesn't sound like like hearing as we understand hearing to be, but it sounds like something. Uh, there are plenty of activation videos on YouTube, uh, mostly with little children who have never heard and they've got the cochlear implant. And so now the video is flipping that switch and watching the child's face mm -hmm. realize something else is going on. They're, <laughs> they're wonderful. And, you know, if you've got a heart in your chest, you know, you'll, it'll, it, you know, it'll, you know, it'll bring you to tears. Wow. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The break is over. Here we go, back to the show about science. So can I ask a question that's something that I've been trying to get a straight answer on for years? And this movie actually like brought up a pretty intense debate between my girlfriend and I, and I think that you're the perfect person to answer the question for me. Yeah, great. Go ahead. You can ask me anything. Yeah, I want your opinion on this too, Ethan. <laughs> Sh should we or should we not be putting Q-tips in our ear canals to clean out our ears? Or is that terrible for you? Great question. There's a risk that you could uh, damage your, um, not only damage your ear canal, uh, you, there's a risk. Well, let's, let's, again, let's go back to the real estate uh, question here. The distance between uh, the opening to your ear canal and your eardrum is about an inch. The distance across the middle ear space, which is the space on the other side of the, t of the eardrum, into your inner ear is about a quarter of an inch. Once you're, in, once you're through the middle ear, now you're into the inner ear. So is it possible for you to take a Q-tip and uh, damage your outer ear by scraping it and causing possibly outer ear canal infection? That's the 
the least of your problems is that you're going to scrape all of the oil off your ear canal. And what you have to remember in your ear canal and sort of on your bodies, and this is nothing pointed uh, at, uh, at comedians, but we all have about maybe 160 different species of either bacteria, viral, viruses, or fungi living in your ear canal. Christ. They're just living there. They're hanging out. And here's what happens. You've got this oil that your body produces that coats the skin of the ear canal. It has certain antimicrobial benefits to it. You put a Q-tip in there, you're going to dry all that out. You're going to excoriate the skin of your ear canal, and you may create a gap or rip in your skin of your ear canal in which all of the bacteria that are just living on the surface of your body are going to jump into. Because guess what? Inside your body is probably better than outside your body. It's probably warmer. There's more fluids. It's, just, it's, you know, it's, it's a better party once you jump into the skin of the ear canal. Very painful because we've got a lot of nerves that are attached to sensation of the outer ear, probably because we don't have any defensive mechanisms. Unlike your eyes, where you can kind of, you know, something affects your eyes, you can close your eyes, you can close your eyelids. We can't close our ear lids. We don't, you know, we, you do have an ear lid, that little thing that's attached to your face called the tragus, that thing there, that's the name of that. Tragus. Uh, sea lions and seals, that's the only part of the outer ear they have, and they can close theirs when they go underwater. But we can't close our tragi. So given that, we don't have a defense protection, except we've got all of this super sensitive multiple nerves. So when you stick an that Q-tip in there, Michael, and, and you're feeling something, that's your body saying, dude, you got to really rethink this. This isn't what you're supposed to be doing here. You could perforate your eardrum. There's a chain of bones associated with that. You could knock that chain apart. Uh, and now you got uh, a 50 decibel hearing loss. If you got into your inner ear, which is probably unlikely because it would have been too painful uh, at that point, then uh, you could deafen yourself permanently. So, uh, in in that case, need I go on? In that case, can I just get you to say, Sydney, your boyfriend Michael is correct. You should not be putting Q-tips in your ears. Uh, I saw a young lady once who uh, had a Q-tip. Uh, I guess what she said was she put Q-tips in her ear canals, like to let her hair dry, let her ear canals dry. It was somehow as she had a shower and I guess she forgot that she had that in there and then she went up and she uh, hit the, the Q-tip and just hit it right through uh, her tympanic memories. Oh so, um, Sydney, um, I'll do it, Michael. Okay, thank you. Someone has to. Your boyfriend, Michael, is right. Do not put Q-tips into your ear canal. How's that? Is that good? Thank you. It's perfect. Yeah, that's going to be my new ringtone every time she texts me or calls me. <laughs> Why is it reminding you? Just that I was right. So rarely do I get oh, a, a oh. moment where I'm right about something, you know, especially medically. A little self-esteem so booster. I'm going to take this. I'm going to take this victory. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Um, okay, so my my last question here, because we're running short on time, is when do you think we should be wearing earplugs? Like if we're going to a, well, I don't know when the next time people are going to a sports uh, arena is, but like, do you wear earplugs to the sports arena now after your Jaybirds experience? Or like sometimes I'm out walking. Jayhawks. Sometimes I'm out walking on the. Get it right. Wait, what did I say? You said Jaybirds. Did I? That's yeah, a... I don't know what a Jaybird is, but you're on, you're talking to two Kansas Jayhawks. So we so are not going to accept I'm so, that. I, so that's what, okay. that's what us cool cats call joints. <laughs> um, so that's probably where my mind was at. No, I, sometimes I'll be walking on the street and a fire truck will come by or a police car or something and I'll hold my ears and kind of feel like a schmuck, but I'm just worried about my hearing. Uh, so can you tell me, similarly to how Michael wanted you to tell Sydney, can you tell me that I am not a schmuck for doing that? 
It's quite prudent to want to protect your hearing. As I said before, uh, even a single exposure to a high enough amplitude sound could be enough to cause permanent damage. If, you, if a fire truck is going by, that has a, a sound output that is designed to be heard, you know, miles away. And and uh, and if you're sort of standing right by it, uh, that's uh, that's clearly a problem. You know, maybe the most severe hearing loss, noise exposure hearing loss I ever tested was uh, a, a fellow who worked for a Los Angeles fire. Part of his career, he was a tillerman. And the tillerman, if you, you know, is the person who sits at the back of the hook and ladder truck and steers it. There's an uh, auxiliary steering mechanism back there. And at that time, that's where the siren was. So he was sitting right on the siren that you can hear miles mm. away. His hearing was, uh, uh, with that kind of exposure on a daily basis, even with even with hearing protection, uh, was you know, hearing was actually within normal limits up to a point for the lower frequencies and then damage for the higher frequencies. So that's, you know, one of the things about this film where the noise exposure uh, and the typical audiologic components don't really kind of go along. Do you carry earplugs around with you as a, just in case of loud sound? You know, I've got uh, earphones or ear uh, hearing protection devices uh, are made now that have filters in them so that they provide flat frequency response mm -hmm. so that you can just attenuate the signal by, you know, whatever, 10, 15, 20 decibels, whatever you want, and still have the, the frequency characteristics, uh, you know, sort of preserved, which are different than just sort of putting just a, a plug in your ear, which then has a, a distortion of the frequencies that are that are attenuated. Are you sponsored by a specific company? You want to give them a shout out? People should buy uh, specific uh, advanced earplugs with decibel attenuation. That's, that's, that's fine. <laughs> Do you right. think a case could be made that electronic dance music or EDM is worse for your hearing than other music? It's an interesting question to wonder whether genre of music would have a differential effect on uh, hearing loss. And actually, one of my uh, students at Cal State LA, uh, Lindy Alvarez, used that as her undergraduate thesis. Uh, and at this point, it's inconclusive uh, whether or not it does. I would say to you from an acoustic point of view, genre shouldn't matter. Uh, I'm sorry, Michael. It seems like all genres are equal here. It's okay. If there's ever any other thesis that tackle this, I would very much appreciate being kept in the loop on it to continue my journey to silence all EDM music. I wanted to make a quick note before we go about Riz Ahmed. I have always liked him, um, but I was watching this movie thinking... Do I love Riz now? Am I a huge Riz fan? Does he actually play drums? Looks like he's playing drums and he's like jacked up. And I did some research. And so first of all, yeah, uh, he is awesome. He's also a rapper. He can freestyle. And secondly, he his prep was crazy. He did like eight months of prep for this movie where he would do two hours a day learning sign language, two hours a day learning the drums. And then two hours a day with a personal trainer. And then I don't even know how many hours with an acting coach. So he went really X-Core metal for this movie. And I think it absolutely paid off. So I just wanted to like pay homage to that. Have you seen The Night Of? Yes, I like The Night Of. He's incredible in that. Yes, yes. Also very good. Everyone check that out. And while we're talking about other stuff to check out, uh, another Seeker podcast uh, called Surprisingly Brilliant, which is excellent if you're not listening to it they did a whole episode about cochlear implants uh which is uh some fascinating stuff um and michael feld 
Speaking of other stuff to check out, what should we check out of yours, my friend? Which which award-winning film would you like to tell us oh, about? Oh, well, you know, after I went to Russia to see Limp Bizkit, I thought, why not go on a cruise with a bunch of Kid Rock fans? So I went on Kid Rock's Redneck Cruise in 2016 and made a documentary about that. But, um, you know, I would say you should watch on, uh, I have a, a film that is on Ombleto online called 40 Minutes Over Maui that uh, is a great short film that'll put a smile on your face. Um, and that can be found online. Great. 40 Minutes Over Maui. Is that Correct. right? Correct. Yep. Yep. Okay. Everyone check that out. Check it out online. Michael, thanks for joining us. Dr. Peter Ivory, is uh, there something you'd like to tell people about? Should they be taking uh, some classes of yours at Cal State? Uh, I have to leave uh, leave you with an admonition. It would be protect your hearing. Mm-hmm. It's hearing loss is uh, second uh, secondary to noise exposure is really the only preventable cause of, of uh, hearing loss. All of the others are kind of in- in- inevitabilities or poor uh, circumstances, but ear protection will help to preserve your hearing. Uh, hearing loss uh, in this of this type is permanent. It doesn't grow back. It doesn't repair itself. And the only choice you have is to prevent uh, further uh, hearing loss. If I want to uh, say thank you to uh, my students, Jane Shackin, uh, Susanna Hernandez, Nick Vitarelli, uh, himself a, a drummer and an AUD student, uh, and my colleague Margaret uh, Winter uh, for uh, assistance in uh, helping me think about uh, today's uh, podcast. Much appreciated. So glad this movie came across our desks here at Bad Science. I absolutely loved it. And Michael, I hope you heed this warning. I hope you heed those I know. warnings on your phone and turn that shit down, I son. I was going to go lift weights and listen to Slipknot, but I'm really reconsidering that now. And maybe I'll just lift weights in silence and think about everything that's been discussed over the last hour instead. Yeah. Do everything in silence or, you know, uh, sub out some Slipknot for some Enya. Yeah, I might do that. Or I guess listen to Slipknot at a seven. What's the point? What's the point? Yeah, <laughs> I think I think weightlifting to Enya is going to be like something I might give a sh- give a chance to. That sounds like a fun experiment. I mean, you might get better form because you're going to be like going slower. Yeah, and and that's supposedly better, right? So yeah. you're like you're going to actually get in like crazy ripped shape. Yeah, I'll, I'll be I'll be lifting to uh, Kenny G in no time. <laughs> Just shredded. (laughs) Perfect. Well, let us know how that goes. And uh, thank you both for being on the program. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. And rock on, everybody. Take care. Rock Chalk Jayhawk. (laughs) Bad Science is a seeker podcast produced by Emily Feld and me, Ethan Edinburgh. Our editor is Lucas Bollinger. And our social media is managed by Blue Whale Media. Shout out to EJ and Kate. And the executive producer. Metal, that was my metal voice, is Brett Kushner. Oh, follow us on Instagram at Bad Science Pod. If there's a movie you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email at badscienceatseeker.com. That's badscienceatseeker.com. And please leave us an iTunes review. Give us five stars. I sound like an Uber driver. But it does help. It makes sure people know about the podcast, which we really appreciate. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>